Hello and welcome to TP with TP, the podcast with Tom Polos. Here, we chronicle the absurd world of entertainment and interview movers and shakers in the industry, all the while taking some blame. Today, we discuss the world's worst tennis player. It's always been challenging to describe what I do for a living in one sentence, especially to my parents and childhood friends who do not live near or have any ties to show business. The easiest answer for a while was to say, I'm lucky. Lucky in that I don't wake up in the dark and commute home in the dark or work for the man or whatever Roy Orbison was going on about. Lucky for a living in the sense that I have gotten jobs based on how I look and sound. Natural born things I didn't have a hand in other than winning that first race to the egg. But since the Zeitgoat 500, I've lucked out professionally and I've been on television and radio and jumbotrons and phone screens and on Cameo and have traveled the world. Aren't I great? I've created shows and sold content. Oh, gross, Tom. And being lucky for a living has turned into monetizing myself as I've basically been Tom for pay. But well before any of that took off, there were some pretty unsettling times where I had no idea if I'd ever book a job. Full disclosure, even when things are going well in entertainment, remember this business is a casino and it's only a matter of time until the house wins. But back to the dark ages when my food budget was whatever Matt Damon ate in The Martian. I was 22 and with a prestigious agency where they would call me and send me out for work opportunities. And no matter how bad the job was, I wanted it, naturally. Everyone starting out is hungry and more than willing to debase themselves. Sometimes weeks would pass without getting a call and you sit there like an Amazon Prime package waiting to be shipped out. Every call, every opportunity feels more important too as time passes. What if I mess this up? Will they stop calling altogether? One morning my phone rings and my agency appears on the caller ID. Yes, it's happening. The job is calling. My ship has come in. I'll finally have good news to share with the confused but supportive friends and family at Christmas. I can BCC that guidance counselor that didn't believe in me and be petty white to all the haters. I pick up and I speak to an assistant. Hi, Tom, she says. Hi, how are you? I eagerly respond. Good, good. I'm going to connect you with John. For the sake of this story, we're calling this next agent John. John comes on the line. I await my fate. Will it be a hosting opportunity, a commercial, a voiceover gig? John, hey, Tom, good to talk. I see on your special skills that you play tennis. I have a court reserve tonight and my hitting partner canceled on me. Was wondering if you wanted to play tonight. Oh, I said, still remaining chipper. "Uh, uh, For sure, for sure. It's been a minute since I've played, but yeah, let's do it. Great, it's at Point City Park off of Willoughby, 7.30 p.m. Sounds good, see you then. I get off the phone and I realize... I'm now in a terrible position. First, it's a bummer that rather than research jobs for me, this agent spent time researching who on the roster was good enough at tennis to fill in the gaps of his hitting partner's social calendar. Second, I have to say yes, because I want this guy to know that I'm game for everything and anything and very available. But third, this is a lose-lose. If I'm out of practice and not good tonight, he'll think I've wasted his time. If I'm great and beat him, he'll look at me and himself differently for the rest of time. My career will be over before it has started. It is now 7.30 p.m. I'm at the park, looking like Jim Carrey playing Roger Federer in a Lifetime movie. Someone on YouTube once commented that I was Walmart Jim Carrey. That same video, someone pointed out that I looked like if all the workaholics from Comedy Central had a kid. Whatever, I have big eyes and a long neck. John shows up at 7.35 p.m. 
there are people on the court. He walks onto it, waves me forward and announces the player's midpoint. Hey, we reserved this. They sheepishly leave and John gestures his racket to the far side of the net where I'm to make haste. He audibly stretches, windmills his arms and grunt squats. I mimic preparation, but I'm not looking to win Wimbledon tonight, just hoping to make a powerful person feel like they made the right decision by calling me so they might call again. We hit back and forth, volleys, forehands, backhands, ground strokes. The gentleman's rally continues for about 15 minutes or so, and then John says, let's play a set. I laugh and offer that, I'm breaking a sweat doing this, you sure? He doesn't laugh and says, yes, I'm sure. A set it is. John starts bouncing the fuzzy yellow ball and begins serving. He faults his first attempt into the net, but the second serve makes it over and we play out the point. I get the feeling this alpha agent can tell that I'm not ripping shots back at him at full speed, so I up my energy a little bit and the competition becomes more intense. I took the first game and the second, he took the third, and we went back and forth. John occasionally mutters under his breath when he misses long and throws his hands in the air if caught out of position with a drop shot. All of a sudden, the set is over, six to two. I've won. Another set, he says. Uh, okay, is all I can muster, knowing I should have said no earlier in the day, but I can't say no now that we're here. He serves into the net and shouts, no! The next point, he slices wide right and drops an F-bomb for the neighboring players to hear. Every point from then on is either a racket slam, a not safe for work word, or a self-loathing critique. Stupid John, you know better than that John. Better be better John. The meltdown is on full display and the entire park has gathered to watch. The Poinsettia Recreation Center has basketball courts and softball fields all nearby, and those crowds have migrated to watch John McEnroe meet Ari Gold, meet me, myself, and Irene. Ah! He went, and I was like, all good. Then I hit a soft lob right in the middle of the court that bounced high. John wound up perfectly positioned for an overhead slam. He loses it in the lights, mishits it long, dropped to his knees and screamed, I'm the world's worst tennis player. The entire park heard. All of Los Angeles might have. I stood at the baseline trying to be supportive while wondering how hard it was going to be to get a new social security card and start a new life. After what felt like an eternity, he stood up, dusted off his scraped knees, and we played on. The set ended six to nothing, and our time on the court was up. We shook hands at the net like true champions do, and then he asked if I could drop him off at his apartment. It was part humanizing, part chilling, now funny, but at the time I wouldn't describe it as laugh out loud funny. I certainly wouldn't describe myself as lucky for a living that night. I did not monetize myself this evening. I truly thought I'd never hear from him again. But just a few months later, we went on to do business and he negotiated a high paying gig that took care of me for a while. I was later told by a colleague that this agent was a real pro, which made me laugh because he wasn't a tennis pro. John himself admitted literal and metaphoric faults, but neither of us repeat Sampras that night. And while we all try to be professional or look the part or be powerful or be important, the only thing that counts as winning in the entertainment industry is being in the game in the first place. So if you work in entertainment and someone asks, what do you do for a living? You can just say, I'm in the game. Or you can say, I'm the world's worst tennis player. That's a wrap for this week's TP with TP. See you at the after party.